The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. It is News Talk, it is The Anton Savage Show, and I am joined by editor of Cork Bio, Joe O'Shea, and Irish Olympian Dervil O'Rourke to look back at the stories making the news today. And one of the ones that is, it's, it's a sort of a, a Marmite story because it will really, really, really matter to some people, and a lot of the world will completely ignore it. This is the fact that Elon Musk has now completed the purchase of Twitter has walked into um, Twitter's headquarters on video carrying a sink so that he could do the pun, I've bought Twitter, let that sink in, and has fired, I think, four of its senior executives, including the person who was responsible for banning Donald Trump. Derville, do you care? I kind of do care, yeah. I, I would have been on Twitter a lot more, I reckon, about eight years ago. Now I rarely post on Twitter, but I'm always interested in it. As a platform, I'm. I think anything digital, I find interesting because I'm kind of in that space. But I think Elon Musk is just his ego is so outrageous. And I think when he was carrying the sink, I was like, "Is that the sink? Is it his ego?" Like I was so confused at the video. I had to watch it a couple of times. I was like, "Is that really a sink? Because it's so it's not even a properly shaped sink." But I've been watching the story. It's been going backwards and forwards, and. Yeah, as a medium, I I just find Twitter fascinating. I think the fact that he's bought it for forty four billion, I mean, how's he getting that back? Like, how's he going to make it profitable? Well, this like, goes to the ego thing because exactly what are the he's saying. I mean, Joe, you you will have seen this. He's saying that he's not buying it for the money; he's doing it for the good of humanity. The good of humanity, um, <laughs> like it, it. It's funny. The amount of Irish people on Twitter, the best stats you can probably guess, the people who, Irish people who regularly use, use Twitter are three and a half percent of the Irish population. That's small. Yeah. Wow. Facebook, 90 percent mm-hmm. of the Irish population. Yeah. Right. So uh, Twitter is beloved of journalists, of politicians, of people with stuff to sell or, or brands to market. And that's great. But it's it's it, in the great in the great scheme of things, it's not that big. It is influential, definitely in politics. Elon Musk is this weird mix of socially awkward nerd and Bond supervillain, right? And he's he's bu- buying himself a world of pain here because what he now is is the barman in the biggest, most roadiest, most annoying uh, pub full of most annoying people in the world, right? He's going to have to, he's saying he's going to moderate. He's going to have a hands-on approach to moderating. How can you do that? Millions of people around the world and often the people with the worst opinions in the world are going to be shouting at each other on Twitter and Elon Musk is going to be in the middle of it and he has other businesses. And let's be clear, (laughs) if you look at his own behaviour on the media, I mean, this is a man who, do you remember the the thing with the the cave diver who rescued the... uh, He he described him in in the most abusive possible term. The worst slur you could possibly... And and he got away with it, which was the hilarious thing as well. So it's... I think Elon Musk is going to get very bored of this very, very quickly or very annoyed with it. And I could see him like gone within six months or a year. No problem. Although one assumes a part of the reason he wants it is because of the power that it brings. I mean, that thing of don't, don't, don't start fights with men who buy their ink in barrels. This is the ultimate buying your ink in barrels. Yeah, that's I was the word power. I think it is about power. I don't think it's about the economics of it. I think he's going, how do I have the most power? How can I be the loudest? How can I be the most seen? Even how he announced the buy, then the behaviour of firing four of the top, you know, managerial positions in there. I think, but I think it's fascinating how it'll unfold because he, it's because it's been going on for quite a while. And again, you're right. His behaviour has been appalling. Like I've seen some of his tweets and I've thought they're parodies. I've thought, ah, that's not his real account, is it? But it is, that is him. And for who he is, what he's achieved, his level, you kind of go this absolute madness. But 
And still, I'm going to say, I think it's ego driven. I think you're right. I think in six months, he's going to be like, oh my God, all these people are abusing the heads off each other, abusing the heads off me. How do I contain this? How do I control it? Very but hard does he to need control. To? I mean, if he, if he just opens the floodgates and says, bring back in everybody, including Trump, who has been fecked off and let mm. them have at him. There's a very good piece in The Verge online digital mag today by a guy called Nile Pate. And it's... Um, it talks about he has to, you have to con- moderate the content. If you don't, yeah. no advertisers will want to be within a million miles of you. So that's the big problem. It's it's not a technical problem, it's a political problem and it's a brand problem. Twitter has to, has to attract mainstream people, people who don't want to scream abuse at each other because if it doesn't, it won't make any money and he will lose his $44 billion. Yeah. So even if he wants to make it an entirely, as he describes it, a sort of a, a bastion free of free space, he free can't, for all. He can't afford it. There are free-for-alls out there. There's 4chan and there's lots mm. of sites you can go to that are free-for-alls. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't advise it, but you know, he has to find a way to make it work or he's $44, million, $44 billion in the red. Meanwhile, while we're on topics of things that cannot be fully explained, Elon Musk's motivation is one. The other is, um, Joe, one that I, I think you, you maintain that you're able to explain, which is the front <laughs> page of the Irish Times today. Let me just flip this over so I have it right. Under the headline, people singing up the ra don't mean to glorify the IRA, says a poll. Oh, and it's yeah. an Ipsos MRBI poll that says 59% of people say, I don't think people mean to glorify the IRA by singing these songs. Now, w- explain this to me. Singing a song that says... Up the IRA yeah. is not a glorification of the. What am I missing here, it's Joe? It's not because it's it's not. And I it's think not. I think this I think this poll shows the em, eminent uh, common sense of Irish people, right? It's not because it, in in the same way that uh, singing Alice, Alice, who the f is Alice, <laughs> it, it is not. Uh, you know, you're not. It's not a searing inquiry into the location of Alice, right? This is just a party song. It has become a party song, and in some ways reflects how a lot of Irish people have broken with with the actual history and the and the terrible history of armed conflict in the north a lot of people it's become this sort of like thing you sing or some people sing when when you're at you know it's it's late at night at a stag party or a wedding or whatever and people do it nobody's do, do, do you want to explain to joe how he's wrong or will i do it <laughs> oh god um I'm sort of in between i i guess this this all came out obviously because of that that video um and I felt mainly, I kind of took the song out of it a little bit, right? Because my background is, you know, female sports person. And I just thought that women's soccer team is really important. It's mm-hmm. really, really important to this country. It's really important, the visibility of it, how we talk about it. And I think they just they just had a moment. And I don't think it was more than that. And I think what they had to deal with the next day was very difficult. And... I found all that hard because I think what they did was so good and it just took away from what they did and what they'll continue to do. Um, and I always think as well... We're not baffled by it. I, mean, um, I, I, know, I don't want to rehash it, but yeah. I, I looked at that video and thought, that's what he is at. Like, how did nobody I, I, say, what are you doing? Stop no, it. they just weren't thinking. They're in a moment. And I think, you know, that's a te- it's a team environment where you've, you have a lot of people. You've that atmosphere. Like, I... I had some big days in sport, but I was in an individual sport. So it's not like I was on, you know, I was on my own in a dressing room chanting to myself, you know. So, (laughs) you know, like definitely like was singing a little bit the odd time. But like you can see how you'd get. I think that was getting caught up in a moment. Right. I do. And I do. It's funny. I'm probably because I don't know what you're going to say yet, but I have an idea. I'm probably in between where you both are. So I've gone a bit on the fence with this one. I know what Joe's saying, but I also, I listen, I actually listen to a lot of radio after it and a lot of people and the hurt it is, of course, because of the conflict 
and because of the history. And I think, yeah, there's considerations on both sides. Sorry, that's very on the fence. (laughs) That that is definitively on the fence. I'm sorry. I I understand the logic that says I don't believe that either the women's football team or anybody else or a lot of the people who would um, sing that song are secret, rabid, militant Republicans who no. are giving voice to that notion. But surely it's a bit like singing songs that have racial epithets within them. Even if you are not racist, there are certain things you do not say. Right. Even if you're not militant Republican, there are certain things you don't say. That's a good... That is a good... And listen, we're heading towards Christmas and what are we going to all be yeah. inevitably talking about in the next month? Yeah. Fairy yeah. Tale of New York. York which you know, is the so, exact, exact yeah, point. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, it's back to that. So... Yeah, I, I think it's one I don't think we're going to agree on it today Anton Well let's give it a shot you have got time Derville <laughs> In more significant news there is a, a story on the front of the Irish Independent which says new pub laws will have dire impact warn health chiefs This is it's reporting by Philip Ryan and Hugh O'Connell in the Indo and it's uh, the laws which are going to allow pubs and nightclubs stay open later so pubs will be allowed to serve until 12.30am every night and nightclubs will be able to stay open until 6am um, Gone are the days mm. of a 40 euro bottle of vinegar in um, mm. Yeah, yeah. Of a, uh, <laughs> uh, but the issue with this is that the Department of Health is reported to have gone to their Minister Stephen Donnelly and said this runs completely in the face of everything that we are trying to do in terms of curbing problem drinking and Stephen Donnelly said to paraphrase get lost lads. yeah Listen, um, there's so many sides to this story right? one thing that, I, that in, in this part this end of the debate is the statistics show that, pro- that younger Irish people are drinking less Right. Uh, yeah, that, that is that is a fact at the moment. Right. There is obviously a huge problem with with problem drinking, with, uh, with alcoholism in this country. And there has been for generations. I don't think that letting the pubs open till 1230 is going to make a huge difference on this. And definitely the thing about the nightclubs going till 6am. How many nightclubs in Ireland are going to go till 6am? Maybe one or two in Dublin. You won't get any in Cork. You might get a couple of late night bars, but that's going to be it. It's, I think this, this is more to do with kind of regularising this kind of mad thicket of laws that we had, some dating back to, to like the 19th century uh, around drinking. I'm, I'm old enough to remember that uh, uh, I wasn't drinking at the time, but holy hour, when the pubs used to close at the weekends uh, for between 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock in the afternoon, 4.30. Did they? Yeah, and this was up until the, the late 1980s, I think, right? So, again, I wasn't drinking at the time, but I remember men standing outside pubs <laughs> waiting, waiting for, waiting for <laughs> Holy Hour because they had to clear out and then come back in. However, where you began, though, Joe, was you were talking about the statistics around people's drinking. If yeah. you look at the statistics of what impacts on drinking overall, regardless of the demographics, yeah. two of the main contributory factors to the increase in drinking is price and availability. Yeah, price and availability. And this increases availability. Yeah, it does increase. Listen, it is going to have an impact. The people who have existing problems may get worse than this. More people might fall into problem drinking. But again, we have to go back to like the, the rules that we have now, where you can't. You go to a supermarket on a, on a Sunday morning, and you get and you, you're getting your your roast for the, the night, and then you kind of go and a bottle of wine. They go, we can't sell you a bottle of wine, <laughs> you know, you can't <laughs> it's because it's Sunday, and, we, and you can't buy one until twelve thirty or whatever. You know, people who want to drink will always find a way to find drink. Prohibition in the US in the 1920s, they had the highest levels of alcoholism they've seen in because people, you, you try and prohibit it like you stop people singing a song about the IRA and people are just going to, that's all they can focus on. You can't stop people drinking. 
it, it, it does in the end come down to person's responsibility and also education. Ah, yeah, but it's a bit like economics. You can you can you can take p- uh, policy measures mm. that have an impact on the broad behaviour of a nation, and if you reduce availability, yeah. you do reduce drinking, uh, harm, even if people harm, really want harm reduction. I think the more importantly, put money into educating younger people about the dangers of not just drink, because the other problem we're going to have here is more drug use, because if people are going later and later into the night, cocaine has become a massive problem, and not just in Dublin it's in every town in Ireland now On the subject of towns in Ireland um, (laughs) Derville do you want to give congratulations to Trim I believe they are the tidiest town in the country I just believe all the towns in Cork are looking beautiful Um, (laughs) I'll be honest Anton I was going to say so before you even moved on to that I'm just sitting here going God bless anyone that can go in a nightclub till 6 o'clock in the morning they should be taking that energy and putting it into an Olympic sport because that's other level it's something I couldn't achieve but yeah Cork is looking beautiful the towns are looking fab I live in Crossaven myself Looks very tidy. Carrigaline is also looking tidy. Can say just to interrupt so as the head the of the Durbles, Cork tourism. Yeah, Cork tourism. I'm really pleased everyone's here. The reason I bring this up is because Tidy Towns has announced that Trim is the tidiest place in the country. <laughs> Obviously, Durville has a list of places in Cork that would be better suited. Ty Hickey will be picking up where Durville left off in a while on the wonders of Cork. If you have any thoughts on that, five three one zero six. Big thank you to Durville O'Rourke and to editor of Cork Bio, Joe O'Shea. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.